episode of Captain Hunter's podcast, a podcast that is dedicated towards bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. Thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate the love, the support that you all have been giving. Please make sure, please, please, please make sure that you rate these episodes, subscribe to these episodes and share these episodes. Whatever platform that you're listening to these episodes on, hit that thumbs up, give it that five stars, write me an email, cptlhunter at gmail.com. Uh, to let me know what you think about the episode, what you think about in particular guests. Uh, if you want uh, a guest on or have a particular uh, topic that you want me to discuss or look or someone you want me to try to interview, um, I would appreciate uh, hearing from you. And most importantly, I just want to hear from you, what, what you like about the show and what you don't like about the show, how you how I can improve. I'm always looking to do that and make the show much, much better. So I appreciate your love and support. Uh, prior to uh, in advance I know that you're going to do it thank you so much and I will read the, I will read your comments uh, remember I have a book now let me get it up here for the YouTube audience there police reform a retired police uh, captain's perspective on the evolution of law enforcement in America and how to improve the criminal justice system available at lulu l-u-l-u dot com um, it's soon going to be available on uh, ebook format. I'm working on that as we speak. I did do some little minor edits to it, but I'm working on that to make sure that we can get it on ebook platform as well. Of course, if you live close by, make sure that you uh, give me a call, uh, and I will. We can meet up, or I can e even mail it to you, and you get a little bit of discount, and I'll give you a signed copy as well. Ooh, what else we got here for as far as housekeeping notes? Um, I think that's it. So please make sure you rate, subscribe, and share these episodes you can support the podcast through paypal cash app and venmo cpt l hunter uh for venmo and paypal uh, e e uh yes even paypal is c-a-p-t-h-u-n-t-e-r or cpt l hunter all of those work cpt l hunter just think capped l hunter so please support the podcast a dollar an episode, five dollars a month, fifty dollars for the year, whatever you can do to help support the podcast, I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your love and support um, going forward. So we're gonna get right into the episode. This is my third, I have to correct myself, and during the episode I said second, it's my third FBI agent. Very, very pleased with them uh, for coming on to the show. I have the Ray Kwai. Make sure you go back and listen to that episode. Listen to my episode with uh, Michael German called Infiltrator. Uh, talking about uh, how he was a uh, how he uh, infiltrated the neo-nazis groups Lorraine Kwai talked about this self-esteem she's got a, a, a former FBI agent and having grown up in the wastelands of, of, uh, of the western midwest um, she she had some self-doubt so now she became an FBI agent and now she is uh, on a mission to make sure that other people are coming through there um, uh, issues of, of self-doubt so make sure that you check out that episode as well this is my third fbi agent miss jerry williams i've been retired for some time now uh and I, she has her own podcast you wrote a couple of books she's also now in consultant for uh, film agencies who are looking to you know make sure that they get their film critiques uh film editing and film production right when they're filming stories about the fbi and all that kind of stuff so she's doing that so very very impressed with her she's written some uh fiction as well as non-fiction books so she's just doing her thing in her retirement and also her podcast is geared towards 
uh, just different stories from different former uh, FBI agents and talking about their stories and everything that they went through and their time on the job. We're really, really impressed with what you're doing. Here's a little bit about Miss uh, Jerry Williams, J-E-R-R-I Williams, uh, has always been a storyteller. And after serving 26 years as a special agent in the FBI, she has plenty of stories to tell. During most of her bureau career, she worked major economic fraud investigations and was amazed at the schemes and deception con artists and corruption, corrupt corporate and public officials would devise to steal others people's money. She notes that with a gun, they can steal millions, but with a lie, they can they can still uh, excuse me she notes that with a gun they can steal millions with a lie they can steal millions I, I think that I think she notes that with a gun they can steal a few a few dollars but with a lie they can steal millions she's using her professional experiences with scams and schemes to write fiction about greed and often jokes that she can she is reliving her glory days by producing and hosting FBI Retired Case File Review, a true crime and history podcast where she interviews retired FBI agents about the high-profile cases and careers. Based on her experience as an FBI spokesperson, she also debunks misconceptions about the FBI and is under contract at a technical as a technical consultant for major TV networks and production companies wanting to create authentic FBI drama and characteristics wrote a couple of books there and i really really appreciate her coming on the podcast we had a great great conversation talking about obviously law enforcement getting more minorities into law enforcement the state of law enforcement if if there is any tension between law enforcement and fbi agents we're going to take a look at all that kind of stuff so we had a great great interview so without further ado ladies and gentlemen here is retired fbi agent current host of fbi retired case file review podcast Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jerry Williams. Thank you so much for coming to Captain Hunter's podcast. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Um, appreciate you, former FBI agent Jerry Williams. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is uh, this is exciting. You know, it's a, it's an interesting time for policing and. Uh, in America. Yeah. Yeah. To say the least. Right. <laughs> so uh, I've been reaching out to uh, obviously a number of uh, former um, law enforcement, current for uh, law enforcement, as well as other other people just to have a you know really exciting conversation. Um, and I want to give special shout out to my good friends over at uh, Fruit Loops Pod because they uh, were on another podcast that I listened to and they gave me a shout out and they talked about um, what other podcasts that they listen to. And they mentioned that they listened to your uh, uh, podcast. And so I'm like, okay, well, let me check this out. And uh, I, I checked it out and I, I was very much impressed and, uh, I, you know, thought I'd reach out. And, um, and so here we are. So thanks again for coming on. You are the second FBI agent or former FBI agent I had on. I had on Lorraine Kwai, Koi, Kwai, Kwai, I think. Well, then I'm the third because I listened to your episode with uh, Michael German. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're, I got to learn how to count, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I always forget about Michael German. I actually reached out to him recently. Um, so he, he's going to try to come back on. I know he's been so busy, but with this whole white supremacist uh, yeah. type of thing that's going on. So I definitely want to get into that with you. But if you would for us, just uh, introduce yourself and tell the audience just a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah. So name again is Jerry Williams. I was in the FBI for 26 years. I specialized in economic crime, which are your frauds, your Ponzi schemes, your advance fee schemes, your business to business telemarketing frauds. So I did that for the majority of my career and I loved it. You know, uh, the thing about dealing with con men is that uh, they always think that they're the smartest person in the room. And when I walked in, you know, it was they always underestimated me. So I kind of, I kind of really enjoyed that. Um, what I like to say when people think about, you know, the type of things I did and they think about violent crime and all the other kind of more sexy type investigations. I like to say that when you talk about bad guys, you know, when they, when you, with a gun, they can steal hundreds of dollars, but with a lie, they can steal millions. Mm. And so that's why I enjoyed doing the type of cases that I did. Cause you know, they were major dollar uh, figure uh, cases. So now after I retired, I uh, started this podcast and it's actually been five years that I've been doing the podcast. I have 223 episodes where I speak with fellow colleagues, other retired FBI agents about some of the FBI's biggest cases and smaller cases that you've never heard about. Absolutely. That is absolutely fantastic. So let's start at the top here. Uh, so what made you decide to want to join the FBI? Oh, that's a great question because <laughs> I don't know if I ever really decided to join the FBI. <laughs> you know, I was in Newport News, Virginia. I'm from, from the Hampton area. I'm really a, an Air Force brat, but my father retired after 21 years at Langley Air Force Base and we were in uh, Hampton. And uh, I got a job after college. I went to Morgan State. And uh, after college, I went back home and I got a job in Newport News as a juvenile probation officer. You know, working with kids that were you know, doing drugs and uh, um, breaking into houses, uh, prostitution, all of that. And uh, I really enjoyed the job, but I was really too young. You know, I was in my uh, early 20s, right, you know, right out of college and, uh, you know, trying to keep these kids on the straight and narrow. I was somewhat su successful, but I spent a lot of time parenting their parents you know, and many of the parents had actually been on, uh, on juvenile probation, you know, when and so many of my, my older colleagues had had their parents on their caseloads. And uh, I knew I was going to burn out. I knew I was going to burn out. I was feeling burned out after three years. And even though I loved the job and I loved the kids that I was working with, I, I knew I needed to do something else. I was a psychology major. I was definitely using psychology and therapies and training, you know, with my kids on my caseload and again with their parents. But I just knew I was going to burn out. It was such a, an emotional job uh, to, to, to work with these troubled kids. And again, you know, coming from troubled home lives. And so I started looking around and one day I saw this newsletter that said that the FBI was looking for women and minorities. And I had never, ever thought about joining the FBI before. I mean, it was like, what? Mm. And so I thought, I'm going to give the number a call. And the recruiter who answered the phone, I remember him to this day, Randy Waldrop, he recruited me. 
I mean, he wanted me. Mm. I mean, once he learned about my background and that I met, you know, the, the basic qualifications and then he spoke to me, we talked on the phone for about 45 minutes. And by the time I got off of that phone, I knew that I was going to apply for the FBI. And uh, it wasn't that far fetched. I mean, probation, law enforcement. I mean, I was traveling all around Virginia, visiting the kids that I had on my caseload, you know, at the different reform schools and, and group homes uh, throughout the state, many of those lockup facilities. And uh, my roommate from college was when she graduated, she was a social studies major, she became a police. Uh, very much used to the concept of, of policing. So, um, yeah, I thought, let me do this. Plus, and this is a major, I'm being honest, this is a major part of uh, my interest. I was doubling my salary. Well, listen, so that, what that, I was that, making that, as that, a juvenile probation officer when I became an agent, I doubled my salary. Well, uh, that's that's a good reason, quite honestly. <laughs> it's one it's one of the good reasons. Um, yeah. So, wow, that's that's actually pretty interesting. I'm, I don't juvenile probation officers make pretty good money, don't they? Uh, at least here in Connecticut, they do. They make pretty good money. You know, I think it's like social work. You know, social workers are not paid anywhere near the amount of money mm. should earn. So you join the FBI, um, and you're 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 in your what twenty? Are you? I think you said you're twenty five right, when you joined. When yeah, twenty five years old. So yeah, okay. still very young. Yeah, uh, because yeah. the average agent who comes on board with the FBI is thirty. So I was still about five years younger than the majority of the people in my new agent training class at Quantico, Virginia. How was that training experience? I know when I talked to Lorraine Kwai, she said that, you know, the, the instructors tried to intimidate her and everything like that. Uh, how was how was your experience when you went through the FBI? Academy? Uh, I think it's <laughs> I think it was pretty much the same way. Mm. Um, now, remember, this was back long, long, long time ago. No, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long. <laughs> oh, it was. <laughs> I joined the FBI in 1982. And although women had been in the FBI for 10 years at that point, there still hadn't have been uh, a lot. You know, we have 56 offices throughout the country. And so that meant that maybe some offices had one or two women in it. So, you know, as far as interacting with women and women being a part of the FBI, even though it had been 10 years, there really wasn't, you know, a lot of women. And as far as black women, by the time I joined, I was I was like the 23rd in all the country. And so, you know, the people weren't necessarily used to having women in the FBI, especially minority women in the FBI. Even today, there's only one percent of, you know, of the FBI's ranks are, are black women. So, you know, it's it's not one percent you know, what, what's it's not a lot of us there and yeah yeah do you know what the what the percentages well, are do you know what the percentages are of of i mean how many fbi oh agents it's are sad there? you know very very sad so the number of african-american agents in the fbi is only it's around four percent uh the same thing for hispanic agents around it might be around five percent but you know, it's 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 not that great. You know, 
Well, that's certainly one of the things I want to talk about in law enforcement. When you think about traditional police officers, uh, um, I was one of the recruiters for my department, went to different um, uh, churches, colleges, um, and, and barbershops, things like that, trying to recruit black officers. How do we get more black FBI agents? What would be your suggestion? How, how do we do that? Yeah, I think it's the same thing. I think the FBI is doing a decent job of of uh, recruiting and, you know, promoting and, you know, their ads and the things that they do. But I think the bottom line is that, uh, uh, let me just say, let me just say this at the end of every episode, I asked my guest, my FBI agent, retired FBI agent guest, when did you join the FBI and why? And almost every last is because they knew somebody that somebody that was in the FBI saw them, met them and said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about becoming an agent? And so it was a one-on-one -on -one interaction with someone. And so if that is the major way that people learn about the FBI and decide they want to be an FBI agent, then it, it has to be on every single agent in the FBI if they really want to increase minority, the levels of minorities in the FBI to reach out when they see and say, you know, recruit them, you know, say, you know, would you like to become an FBI agent? Would you like to go out for, you know, coffee? Can we sit down? Can I talk to you and let you know what we're all about? And so an ad, you know, um, that they see in a magazine or that they, they hear, you know, on Facebook, but if people come in because of one-on-one -on -one interaction, then that's where they need to put their energy. And, and, and that's what I do, you know, mm. uh, on my podcast is, is trying to, to bring people in and, you know, show them who we are and, and what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. Do you think that the history of the FBI, um, you know, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, the COINTELPRO, go and tell program you think that that puts puts the kibosh on on people's minds minds particularly black people minority persons uh as far as wanting to become a, a member of the fbi yes and no um i think that the history of the fbi um people's knowledge of how hoover uh treated you know black leaders such as martin luther king and and other uh, civil rights groups, you know, is disturbing and certainly something that people need to, you know, consider when they, when they're looking at the FBI. But I think that's almost everything, you know, in our past. I mean, there's, there's a history of, um, of racial injustice and racial inequality in this country. And the only way that that's going to change is if, we as, you know, minorities and, uh, you know, fight for our, our place in these organizations. And so, you know, I, I, I can understand that, that people would look back on what happened in the past, but is that what it's about right now, today? Is it about the past or is it about what we want moving forward? And if you're looking at your, if you're looking to uh, for reform and moving forward, then that's something you want to participate in because the FBI is always going to be here. So let's, you know, 
have as many uh, people that are involved that can participate, that can make changes when and if changes are needed and, uh, you know, move the agency forward. I, I think that to me is, you know, the main goal, you know, yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And it's disappointing that people do look at the past and say, I don't want to join the police department. I don't want to join the FBI. I don't want to join any government, the military. I've heard people talk about the military, not joining the military uh, for all the same type of reasons. Um, meanwhile, we got white supremacists joining these organizations, <laughs> infiltrating them. Uh, you know, so let's talk about that a little bit. You, you I assume, uh -huh. watched... Uh -huh. uh, Watch the the assault on the Capitol. Know about the yeah, attempts, I did. attempts to kidnap. I couldn't government. look away. Couldn't look away. <laughs> so tell us what I, you I were thinking just... when you were watching it. Deep sadness. Deep, deep, deep sadness that you know a nation that has been the you know the the pinnacle for for countries of, of of how they should be run and how people should work together and um you know civil civil rights and civil justice you know here's a country that's helping to show the way to other countries and the reality is on that day that we were no better in some sense than these other countries it may not have been out in the open because you and I, we already knew that, yeah. you know, but that, that, you know, the hatred and um, it was just, it was under the surface, but on that day, you know, it came out and I'm telling you that that picture of the, of the Confederate flag going through the Capitol building was probably just so, I guess it was demoralizing. It's like, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I, I was, I, I was sad. <laughs> then I was also angry, very, very angry um, that it, 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 it got to this place that there weren't enough people looking around, seeing the atmosphere that was being created and not, and there weren't enough people saying, stop, wait, this is not acceptable. Um, so, you know, it, it was it was sadness and anger. You know, I don't know if I would say I was surprised, I, but it was sadness and anger. Uh, I think that that's that's generally the um, reaction I get when I talk to fellow black people is that, uh, you know, they're sad and angry, uh, frustrated. But none of us were surprised. Um, right. None of us were surprised. And I, and I would also say even even in the sense of, you know, these people who were saying that they were fighting for their country were fighting, you know, police officers. And so I hope it was like a wake up call, even for the law enforcement community, you know, that people who claim to be behind law enforcement and to believe in law enforcement may also be using, you know, that, that institution in itself to help with their own causes. And I, I, I hope it's a wake up call for everyone, you know, because I had, I know many people in law enforcement who could hear what was going on, could see what was going on and were trying to deny it. But now those same forces that were, uh, you know, out against minorities and, and people of color were now also attacking law enforcement. 
And so, you know, it was like, it was a moment where you could see, hey, you know, this is a wake up call for all of those who wanted to deny that this was going on. It, it, it was, it was it, I, I keep saying it was, but it is, it's, you know, it's a very sad time. And I hope that we can find ways to uh, now come together when it comes to the need for reform. Do you think, oh, uh, do you think that, um, what do you think lulled people to sleep? You said a wake up call. What do you think lulled them to sleep? The FBI, your, your agency released their document 2006 stating that this was going to happen. Low, low and poll 2021, you know, 15 years later, here we are. Uh, you know, yeah. what, Homeland Security, you know, we're not trying to throw stones here, but Homeland Security didn't do enough. I mean, these are obviously administration decisions, um, not that the officers themselves could, could not or did not want to do it. Uh, FBI didn't, you know, didn't do enough. Law enforcement hasn't done enough with digging into their own uh, pasts uh, or, or um, history and, and record checks of their own individuals. How does this happen? How, how did this happen? I want to make sure we're talking about the the the, the same thing. I'm I, because I'm talking about the growth or the coming out of the woodwork of of uh, hate groups of domestic yes. terrorism. We're on the and, same page. Um, yes. And I think you know we we saw it. You know Charlottesville. Mm. You know we saw it with you know uh, in our political. Uh, movement. You know, we, we saw some of the things that were being said and some of the things that were being ignored. But I do want to make sure, and this is not a de in defense of the FBI, but, you know, there, we've got some serious issues with domestic terrorism laws. There really is not a domestic terrorism violation. I mean, the, even the people that are being arrested for the uh, insurrection, you know, at the Capitol, you know, are being charged with things that are not, you know, straight out domestic terrorism, uh, because there really is not a, a domestic terrorism law, which means that when you see people gathering, when you see people talking, you know, that kind of rhetoric, it's difficult to initiate an investigation uh, because there are so many protections which, of course, as citizens, we want to make sure that we have those protections and, mm. and our privacy uh, cannot just be, uh, uh, you know, uh, taken for granted. And, and but the, the laws are are, um, are are antiquated and, and need to be and need to be fixed because these groups are out there and uh, someone needs to uh, be able to closely follow and investigate them. I, I'm sure you've heard of COINTELPRO. Yes. I mean, that was, yeah, those were the issues during, you know, some of the civil rights movements of, of, of uh, FBI investigating different uh, uh, civil rights groups and organizations. And um, uh, it was determined that they had no right to, to do those investigations, to be, you know, involved in electronic surveillance or physical surveillance. And um, there's got to be a happy medium. I mean, we don't want those, those um, problems and issues uh, coming back again, where, you know, people who are just trying to uh, 
uh, put forth their own agenda are now considered criminals and, you know, and, and being followed around by, by law enforcement. But when it is obvious that the rhetoric is acting towards a, a violent end or a violent means, that we can be able to begin and open up investigations and, and take action. So, many people are calling for something similar to go on today with the COINTELPRO to you know more infiltration of these types of groups. You know, you listen to the episode with Michael German. Uh, you know what he was doing. People want that more. I want that more. Quite honest, quite honestly, I think if they broke up, you know what we were doing, uh, break up what these guys are doing. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, the laws were changed so that you couldn't do it anymore. And so now there's got to be a happy medium where, um, you know, maybe it, it would be a situation where you have to go through, you know, a, a court, you know, and, and uh, you know, like the FISA court and have somebody look at what you want to do and be able to show and prove, you know, that all the elements have been met, you know, that would allow you to engage in these type of uh investigations. Uh, something needs to be done because, you know, I hope I'm wrong, but, you know, it just feels like we're going to have another Oklahoma City, you know, or, or, or something major or a Unabomber type, you know, um, individual, lone wolf individuals, something else is going to happen soon around the country somewhere because those people who believed, you know, have these beliefs, they're still there, you know, uh, they're emboldened now um, and they're still there. And, and, you know, they, I'm sure their thought is by, to get their message out by any means necessary. I mean, the, it, it, it's frightening, but the reality is, is that, you know, we're living in a time right now that takes us all the way back, you know, to, you know, kind of the 1960 type era, uh, you know, as far as people demanding their rights and people trying to stop them from getting their rights. Yeah, no, it's definitely sad. You talked before, uh, you mentioned a little bit about police reform. Um, so, you know, uh, rewind a little bit to a year ago or so almost about May of uh, 2020, we see the George Floyd, Breonna Tet uh, protests uh, as a former law enforcement officer, what was your thoughts when you saw, uh, you know, the George Floyd incident and then the resulting protests? What was, what was your thoughts? Again, I mean, watching that video, I can't imagine any human being, and I know there were some, I know there were others, you know, who didn't feel the same way, but to watch that video and just see the total disregard for life was just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And I truly understand, you know, people coming together. It was beautiful because it was, it was a time period in our country where it wasn't just, you know, uh, black people, African-Americans saying this is wrong. I mean, my neighbors, you know, and at the time I, I, I lived in the suburb, but my neighbors, not all of them, but my <laughs> neighbors were, yeah, not all of them, but my neighbors were out there with us. You know, I, I, I went out, I didn't go out as often as I wanted to because it happened right at the time of the pandemic. Mm. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I was taking precautions, but, you know, my husband was out there, you know, in the marches and there were 
there were people of all races, all ages, you know, all educational levels. They were all working together. And so I don't want to miss that fact that it was a beautiful thing. Mm. But for me, as former law enforcement, and, uh, and I did go out to, an, uh, you know, a, like I said, I, I did go out to a few events, but then I started to get uncomfortable because in the same breath of fighting for you know, racial equality and justice reform were people who were also fighting for uh, you know, disbanding the police, mm. you know, and uh, I'm not talking about defunding the police. I truly understand what that is about. And it's about taking money that could be used for other resources such as, you know, mental health, and all of that. I understand that. I'm talking about the people who wanted to get rid of the police department altogether. And when I, when, you know, I, I couldn't be at a protest, you know, fighting for what I wanted when I was standing next to people who really felt like we should get, we should totally disband and get rid of police departments. And, you know, I, so it got to a point where I couldn't go anymore because I, there were conflicting messages that were being, I, I wanted to, to, to fight, you know, for the things that, you know, I believed in, but I couldn't fight next to somebody who was saying something that I totally um, did not believe in. So tell me about you, because I'm sure you went through some of the same uh, issues of, trying to be out there and be supportive of the main message when there were other people out there who wanted to say, we don't need police at all. And to me, that is just, we need police. We need them to be, you know, working in the community for the community. Yeah. We, I mean, to, to think that we're going to get rid of the police is really, um, you know, fundamentally I, silly. Somebody breaks into my house. Somebody. <laughs> we're not somebody, calling it a janitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody assaults one of my family members. Right. You know, right. somebody is down the street because now I live in an urban community and somebody's down the street running, you know, a drug operation a few doors down. I'm calling the police. Mm. You know, who, who I I need the police to come and make my community and make me safe. Who else are you gonna call? What do you think's gonna happen if we get rid of the police? Yeah. I I we want policing to be better. Yeah. I can't imagine people who really truly believe they want it to be gone. Uh, yeah. And when I start, once I start talking to people like that, uh, I realize that they they haven't really thought through very, the, the long-term effects of that. So it, it's hard to take them, take those types of people seriously. Uh, okay. Yes. I understand. I agree with you about the defunding the police and I agree with the, the sentiments of it. Okay. I do think, that instead of the police department buying another motorcycle, uh, you, we, you know, another Harley Davidson motorcycle, maybe we ought to put some more money into uh, medical, uh, into the medical services, mental health, uh, hiring counselors, um, and, and, and more things like that. So I certainly agree with that. Um, so, but yes, the, the whole defunding the police thing is really, you know, just quite silly, quite honestly. And right. so I, I, I couldn't go out anymore. Um, I just, I couldn't, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I couldn't support that. I couldn't stand next to somebody who was, you know, getting the, the, the crowd to say those things when, you know, I'm like, oh no, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is not what I believe in. 
yeah. whatsoever. Um, uh, better policing, you know, but definitely not, you know, trying to 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 get rid of it. I I believe in law enforcement. Um, I spent 26 years in law enforcement. Um, I just wanted to be the best law enforcement. I wanted to serve the community, you yeah. know, yeah, in, 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 in the right way. So I actually, uh, upon my retirement, I wrote a book. Here's a shameless plug here. Uh, please perform okay. <laughs> a retired police captain's perspective on evolution of law enforcement in America and how to improve the criminal justice system. So, um, so I wrote a book about it. Um, just my own thoughts. I do plan to do, to do a second edition sometime this year. Um, mm -hmm. Just kind of expanding upon. I really talk about just the policing, but I want to get into more the defunding police uh, in, into uh, the corrections aspect of it. And so I want to expand a on what I, what I wrote about already. So, but yeah, I, I certainly agree with you. You talked about a, a little bit. So what are your ideas about when you talk about policing? What needs to change? What needs to reform? What, what about the criminal justice well, thing to be fixed? I can tell you the main thing, and we've already talked about that, is we need more minority participation in law enforcement. I, I think that, um, you know, will go a long ways to looking at the problem because a lot of times the main problem is that people in law enforcement, people who are in a position to make changes don't believe there is a problem. And so if we had more people, you know, that, uh, um, you know, could, could, could honestly evaluate, you know, where there are issues, the prop that here, here's, here's the thing for me. If the community you serve says there a, there's a problem, then that's it. There's a problem. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know that. It, what do you need to look at and evaluate? If the community says there's a problem, then there's a problem because you serve that community. So you need to be listening to what they're saying. You know, you need to 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 try your best to make them feel. You know, the, the motto is to protect and serve. So if this community that you're working in doesn't feel protected or feel that you're serving their needs, then there's a problem. So when it comes to people who are questioning whether or not there needs to be, you know, justice reform, all you need to do is just ask people who are being served by that community. Do you think there needs to be justice reform? And if they say yes, then you need justice reform. So I don't think it's a, a you know a, a, a huge uh, question. You know, it just is. And I do think a lot of that could be resolved by again trying to recruit more minorities of you know all races and you know all colors, you know people of color, into. The police and into policing. I mean, the the numbers, you know, are not good. Yeah, no, I uh, I certainly agree with you. We certainly need more. Mm. So let's talk about a little bit about what you got going on here. So your podcast, uh, you interview a lot of uh, uh, retired agents, and you yes. also do you also do some consulting work on on movies. Is is that right or television yes. shows? Yes. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I started the podcast five years ago, but I am also um, a crime novelist. I've got, you know, on the bottom shelf there, because I, I, 
<laughs> I got my promo behind me. So I've written two crime novels and then I've written two nonfiction books about the FBI. Um, the nonfiction book is called FBI Myths and Misconceptions. And it was something I developed during the first two or three years of my podcast. I've been doing it for five years now. And what happened is as I'm interviewing retired agents, we're talking about cases. We're always saying, yeah, it's not the way it is on TV or that's not what movies show or, you know, books don't give you the accurate look. And I came up with 20 myths and misconceptions about the FBI and books, TV and movies. And so, you know, I, I wrote the book and the book has been, you know, very successful. And from the book and the podcast, I've had two uh, Hollywood, I would say Hollywood production companies reach out to me. So currently I'm under contract with uh, Disney, which is at, uh, for a show that's going to be coming on FX networks and network. And then I'm also under contract for a show that's going to be airing on HBO max. And that contract is with Warner brothers and bad robot. And so I'm the FBI consultant you know, when they have a question about something, both of these shows feature the FBI. And uh, so if they have a question about something that happened or they're trying to get a time period right or kind of setting the scene, what would the office look like? You know, what would people do? What kind of cars were they driving? Then they would come to me and I would answer those questions. And so I've only been doing that now for just under a year, but uh, I really feel comfortable doing it. Um, not only was I in the FBI and was the spokesperson for the Philadelphia office for the last five years, you know, I went in front of the TV cameras, both locally and nationally and, and uh, out of Philadelphia, you know, talking about the FBI. But, you know, now I've interviewed 223 FBI agents and and have really gotten information about almost everything the FBI uh, investigates. So I feel pretty comfortable being able to answer questions uh, that, uh, are, that are posed to me. And if I don't know the answer, I know I don't know the answer. And I've got, you know, a whole wealth of, uh, of uh, friends and former colleagues that I can go to to get the answer because I really want the TV shows and movies and books to be as authentic as possible because most people have never, ever met an FBI agent. So what they know about the FBI, they get from TV, movies, and books. Mm -hmm. And so if we can get that information to a level where, you know, it's close to being accurate, then I know that, uh, you know, the public is getting the right information. And there's a whole group of young adults, you know, little boys and girls and young adults who may someday... Uh, yeah, you froze for a second there. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that's that's actually very fascinating. And you did a review of, of of a movie that I haven't watched yet that I didn't even know there was a movie out about uh, the Jim Jim Comey, Comey Jim Comey. Uh, what's it called? Jim Comey something. Jim Comey something about Jim Comey and how he uh, in, interfered. I'm putting out in quotation marks. You know, did another investigation about the 2016 election with Hillary Clinton and all that. You did a you wrote a review about that. Was that review? Uh, for for a news magazine or just your own personal review about that? It was on your website there. What? Um, 
you were you were going in and out again, so I couldn't. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear what. Uh, I did re a review of Jim Comey's uh, the Jim Comey movie. Uh, oh yes, <laughs> yes, I did a review of um, what was the name of it? The Comey Rules was that the name of it? I think so. I got to look it up again. I, I I haven't watched the movie. Um, the Jim Comey something. Jim Comey streaming services. Yeah, it was on one of the streaming services, and it was a reenactment, you know, fictionalized of the 2020, uh, the 2016 election and the issues surrounding Jim Comey and Hillary Clinton's emails and uh, his relationship with um, with Trump. Um, and it was uh, it was very interesting. Um, I thought I thought it was um, I thought it was fair. I, I don't think that the FBI came out looking, you know, perfect. And uh, I, I thought they presented most of the um, of what happened accurately. I was amazed by some of it because and, and I hope <laughs> and I hope they took some creative um, liberties because I was shocked that so much of the investigation, the appear to occur in FBI headquarters, because I can tell you that is not the case for most FBI investigations. They occur in the field with, a, with an FBI case agent, you know, being supervised on a squad. And the way this was portrayed, it was like they were sitting around a table doing this um, crossfire hurricane investigation right there at FBI headquarters. So again, I'm not sure if that is accurate. I, you know, I haven't read any, any um, nonfiction books uh, about how that actually occurred. I mean, the only person who could write how that actually occurred would be, you know, reading an FBI agent who was there at the time reading their book. And I haven't done that, but uh, you know, it was, an, it was an interesting show, you know, that, uh, um, you know, showed showed the FBI's resistance to uh, interference from um, an administration, from other branches, the executive branch of our government, because we're the, the uh, in the justice uh, uh, department uh, branch of the government, and there really should not be any interaction or interference between those branches. That's why we have three separate ones, you know, the legislative, the uh, judicial, and the executive. I hope I got that right. <laughs> you, you did. <laughs> you did. Um, yeah, so I, that was a movie I had not seen. I didn't, never even heard about it until I was surfing around your, your website there. So I'm definitely going to check it out. And I'm interested, and I talked to um, another agent about this as well, their, their, uh, their take on Jim Comey's doing the investigation in the first place. Do you think that he was trying to sabotage the election or do you think that he was Absolutely really not. Okay. And I know there are some people who are going to say, you know, that, you know, I've been drinking the Kool-Aid, but absolutely not. I believe that. And remember, you know, he's it, most of those people involved in the investigation, even though, you know, the, the public is made to, to feel different were Republicans, you know, you know, they were, and I think what they saw was 
just signs that there may have been Russian interference and 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 I I don't want to use the word collusion, but Russian interference that may have gone as deep as into meeting with and and talking to members of the campaign. When you see that, you know, as an investigative agency who is responsible for intelligence, you know, and and um, and you know all, all those type of investigations. When you see that, you've got to take a closer look. I mean, it would have been naive and irresponsible to see the possibility of wait a minute, this Russian interference may have been trying to get into those areas, then you have a responsibility of looking. You have to do it within the legal guidelines. You can't step over guidelines. You can't miss something. You can't add something. You can't not look at something, um, you know, and, and, and especially at such a high level, it's got to be perfect. And was that investigation perfect and, and totally done the right way? Well, some people will say no. And that's where it became the issue. But the motivation, the uh, predication, which is a big word in the FBI, to at least take a look appears to have been there. And I, I think that was uh, the, the initial um, interest, the initial reason that uh, you know, they, they began looking into this was, was valid. And I don't think it was politically motivated whatsoever, no matter what their personal feelings, which again, was just a huge mistake and unacceptable, um, you know, that, that, you know, that, that stuff became part of the, part of the, uh, the, the, the public um, view of this case. Um, no matter what, that the initial look into what was going on, I believe was truly valid from what I saw. Um, I probably should know this, but I don't. Is that an investigation public? Can people read that now? Well, yeah, the results of the Mueller investigation. Yes, yes, basically, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Of course, a lot of it <laughs> has been redacted, you know, has been blacked out. You can't see some of the things, but, uh, yeah. um, you know, that that investigation was investigated and, um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and it is still being investigated. So, you know, you can take a look at some of those uh, issues, some of the problems that did come up because of the investigation. But what I'm talking about is the, uh, the reason that they began looking at it um, in, the, in the first place. You know, I, from what I could see, definitely, you know, what's going on here, let's take a, quick, let's take a closer look, I think was, was, was more than valid. Yeah, I got halfway through the Mueller investigation and then I got busy. So I'll have yeah. to go back and finish that. It, that was actually a good read. I mean, besides the, re, you know, the few redactions, there, there weren't that many from what I recall. But I actually was very, very surprised at what was going on, all the different connections and all that. So I do have to, I do have yeah, to They were that. there. Those yeah. connections were there. Yeah. Now, was it a conspiracy? It doesn't look like it was. Right. Uh, it right. may have been uh, an issue of, you know, I, well, I'm not even going to go into that. I'm not going to evaluate uh, what has already been evaluated by professionals. Yeah. Um, I think people want to, you know, put their own spin on it. It's right there. Yeah. You know, it's right there. And the, the, that one thing that 
everybody who's taken a look at, at, at what happened has not questioned is whether or not there was reason to begin an open investigation that has been validated that there was. Mm. Very good. That's all, yeah. One, one last thing. And remember, that's all that we do as, uh, as the FBI, as, um, as in, in our law enforcement investigation, somebody provides an allegation. And if we, you know, take a initial look at it and it appears that there may be some validity to that allegation, then we have a predication. We can look at it and see that there is a reason for us to take a further look. And so that is valid. You know, you have an, a, a valid evaluate, uh, allegation that you can see deserves a better look. Some cases, you know, are, you, you take it to the very end and somebody goes to jail. Some cases you do your, your investigation and you find out that the allegation did not meet the elements that you need to charge somebody and then you move on to the next case. Mm. Very good. Um, to your books there, you wrote a couple of fiction books as well? Yeah. So I have a crime novel with a very flawed female FBI agent I call Carrie Wheeler. And she is on a Philadelphia corruption squad where she uh, investigates, you know, con men and corrupt officials. And uh, so I have two books in the series. I'm working on the third now. If I could just spend some time writing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, not have my time all divided up with the uh, podcast and, and, uh, and, uh, the TV consulting, but one day I, I will, this year I will get that done, but I love crime fiction. You know, I love watching the TV shows, uh, about crime stories. I love movies about crime stories. Uh, I just finished watching this weekend that new Denzel Washington, <laughs> I had to turn it off. Oh, it was. Uh, did you like that? You didn't like it? Oh, I didn't like it at all. Well, I didn't like it at the end. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, the very was... end, which I won't talk about. But when okay. it, um, <laughs> at the at the uh, at the very end, something happens that just would never happen in real life. The guy getting in the car and going off with the 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 killer. Okay, I didn't finish it. So, I, what, what what made you stop earlier than that? Well, we 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 just talked about you know when you're watching um, you know law enforcement shows how you know that this wouldn't happen, that wouldn't happen, and from the beginning I'm like this wouldn't happen, that wouldn't happen, this oh, wouldn't well, happen. The, the beginning <laughs> of him being yeah, the beginning of him being a small town. He he left the department. He's gone to a small town, and now they're going to let him hang out with them. Oh yeah, that would yeah, never happen. Yeah, I was happen. like, oh, I was so, like, what is this? <laughs> so no. I so I'm struggling at that point. I'm struggling at the very beginning when the woman. Is in her car and she gets out of her car. It's, why did you get out of the car? You just keep driving. What, what? Well, so I, I think it was the because beginning. the li- no, I think it was because the lights were on at that place and she thought it was open. And so, and and really, that is you know for a fact. Wait a minute, you know for a fact that when you are being followed in a car, they tell you to go to a well lit, safe place where other people are. Well, that's that's true all right so when i'm not sure if i would have stopped up. i'm not sure if i would have stopped though i just kept driving i don't and did she know she was being followed I, that wasn't clear that wasn't clear because she was well yeah well she knew this car kept bumping into her and yeah well she knew definitely the car was targeting her she definitely knew that 
And so instead of being out on the dark road where this car could, you know, you know, do something to you know, pull, push her off the road, uh, she decided to go to a well-lit place where other people were. But unfortunately, it was well lit, but there was nobody there. So I was okay with that. But see, that's what happens when we in law enforcement watch this stuff. We do critique every little bit of it. And we're looking for ways like, oh, that wouldn't happen. I've gotten to a point now, because I wrote the book, FBI myths and misconceptions and, you know, about cliches. And now that I'm doing this work, um, I'm a little bit more open to just letting it go. But there are times like at the very end of the movie, they ruined the movie for me because of something that the detective did that just wouldn't happen. And that Denzel did, Denzel did with him that just wouldn't happen. That it was like, you know, you guys were going okay until you got to the very end. All right, I'm going to go back and finish it because now you got me intrigued. And I, I just, everything. Well, like, no, you're like, only going to get angry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the end of it is so implausible. So yeah. this would not happen that you would be like, uh, no. But yeah, from the very beginning, the fact that he just goes there to pick up some evidence and now all of a sudden is working with them day, you know, every, daily on this investigation that was totally not would not happen there is no reason for them to be there for the integrity of the case you know it is implausible that they would allow him to participate absolutely and then he's taking days off doing and burn his own vacation time and running into his uh repair yeah. shops and quite oh wait till you find out some of the things that <laughs> like you didn't even get to the you didn't get to the point where what it was that made him leave the department okay i didn't There's get to a that. secret Okay. Uh, when you find out what the secret is, it is dramatic. And as a person who just enjoys, who has no law enforcement background, it is definitely, you know, a climatic point. Like, oh, that's what happened. That's why he left. It is just, wow. But the fact that he could get away with that, you know, and that okay. the person who allowed him to get away with that, just would not happen. Would not happen. Would not happen. All right. No, I, I'm definitely intrigued. I'll, 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 try, I'll try to push through and try to finish this, but I was so disappointed. You know, I was so disappointed. And, and I'm going to raise my hand as guilty because <laughs> in uh, my first crime novel, I have her doing something at the very end that just would not really happen, that she probably okay. could not get away with. <laughs> but it's so good, you okay. know? All right. It's so good. And that's really what fiction is about. You know, it's about storytelling and about using your imagination. And so that's why I've been, as I've been doing this work, I've been a little bit more um, open and, and not as, you know, by the book because it's about a story. The only thing, my purpose now is to make sure that people who are watching and reading this stuff understand that if it says it's fiction, you know, if it's a TV show or a movie, do not use that to base your understanding of what law enforcement and policing is about. Do not do that. I, I hope I hope that real. that I hope that people that resonates with people, because when it, when I was working, I was so tired of people saying, OK, we gave you the DNA results an hour ago. How come you don't have them? Yeah, 
<laughs> that part is, oh. not, is not real. Well, we not can't real. we we can't solve a show in an hour. We can't we yeah. can't solve your your this investigation in an hour. You know. So. Yeah, it may take months, and in some cases, it may take a year. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's so much stuff that has to come together during an investigation. And again, not making excuses, but for an, a detective or an FBI agent that's not the only case they're working. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. working other cases too. And, you know, you you have to prioritize everything, give everything a chance and a turn. And as things come up and you get new witnesses or new evidence or something happens, then you can start, you know, working more in that particular case. But um, I, I think that's the thing I like to stress more and more uh, is, is that when you're looking at these shows, they're not, real they're tv shows you know you just as well be watching you know a fantasy or science fiction because the person who's writing them are writing them for your entertainment they're adding elements and twists and turns and climax and crisis and conflicts they're adding all of this stuff to make it entertainment and and, and but sometimes that has nothing to do with reality yeah so. Well, well, that was well said. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I hope that that uh, really gets to people's skulls there that <laughs> it's not real. It's not real. Not real. And, and law enforcement individuals are not the audience <laughs> that these they are definitely uh, not the writers. <laughs> yeah, we're not their audience. You know, we're not their audience. So uh, last question here. Well, actually, I had two more questions. Um, so uh, sometimes we hear about these different uh, rivalries. Do you think that there is a rivalry between a law enforcement, police officers uh, and the FBI agents? Do you, do you have you witnessed that? I will, for me, working most for out of the 24 years, out of the 24, out of the 26 years <laughs> I was in the FBI, 24 were in Philadelphia. And I think we had an excellent relationship with the Philadelphia Police Department. Uh, I, I thought it was, uh, it was superior. I, I got to meet and know and work with closely many, many people from the Philadelphia Police Department. Why? Because they worked in our office. They were on our task force. You know, they came in and sat at their desk with their nameplate and they worked, you know, partnership with an FBI agent and they drove our cars and they got to access our records because they were part of the task force. And I think that's one of the things that's missing a lot, that when people talk about this rivalry, that in most instances, the local police officer knows the FBI agents in that office. You know, they've worked with them on many cases. They've interacted with them. They've uh, asked for assistance from the FBI. The FBI has asked for assistance from the police department. Uh, many of their leaders have attended the National Academy. Uh, we know each other. And if we don't know each other, that's a shame. I mean, because that should be the work of uh, all law enforcement agencies are to you know, partner up whenever they can be, as they call it, force multipliers, you know, bringing together their knowledge, their training, and their experiences so that we can combat you know, our mission, which is protecting and serve you know, together. So I have to ask you that question. Did you ever have any interactions with FBI agents during your law enforcement career? And how was it? Uh, be honest. <laughs> Yeah, no, I did not. Um, the majority of my time, I was a patrol. I wasn't in any uh, uh, specialized units or anything. And we had, 
we had a, uh, a couple of cases where um, I'm reluctant to say this, but the FBI was kind of uh, looking at our department. <laughs> and, uh, and um, so, <clears throat> so um, I don't think that there was, th there was never any case or any circumstance in which uh, I, I, you know, we ever butted heads or anything like that. We, you know, they came into the office uh, and, and, you know, went upstairs to internal affairs and, and, and they had a close working relationship with them. There were a few cases we had, we called, um, uh, I think some drug task force or something, something along those lines. But again, those special, our specialized units did, did most of that. When I was head of the internal affairs, they, they were never uh, around. Um, but, but we never, you know, there was a good thing. Yeah. 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 Which was, was definitely a good thing, you know? Um, so, uh, I, I can't say that we ever had a negative interaction with them. I mean, we had a couple of agents come in one time and, uh, they were standing at our front desk. We offered them, you know, come inside and gave them some coffee and things like that. So I do think that we should have, you know, that type of working relationship, but, but I was never, you know, intimately involved as, as you were, as you were just addressing. Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, there at one time in, Philadelphia, they had a whole squad that was, uh, you know, doing police corruption and looking at Philadelphia uh, Police Department, different units, mostly the drug units for corruption. And um, and of course, you know, when it comes to police brutality and you know, those are usually investigated by the FBI and they yeah. can cause some friction in the relationships. Yeah. But again, if you're already established those relationships, if you're already working together, that makes it a little easier when you have, you know, a, a, the FBI come in and start, you know, evaluating or investigating some of your officers, which, you know, I can't understand how somebody could be resentful of that because if you've got some bad apples in there and it gets to a point where it becomes an FBI investigation, uh, you want those people out. You, know, you don't want those people in your department. That's that's an excellent excellent point. And I we had a couple. We had a case. Yeah, I'll mention this. We had a case where we had to uh, some somehow this officer ended up getting some type of trouble. I don't know if it was tax trouble or something like that. So the FBI came to him, and he actually wore a wire. <laughs> and so you know, so he's walking around us with this wire on that we didn't find out till, till later on that he had on. So we're like, you know what, you rat. <laughs> but at the same time, we're all kind of like, you know, they didn't get any dirt on us. You know, there was nothing, there was nothing. There was one guy that they end up, the big long story. There was one guy that they end up, uh, he ended up resigning. He made some racial comments or something like that, but there was no, you know, we weren't stealing drugs or beating people and all that, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they, they didn't have anything, which was good. And certainly we didn't, but you know, the fact that one of our own would rat us out to the FBI, we were like, come on, man, what's up with that? But we were also proud of the fact that, you know, there's, there's nothing to find here, you know? <laughs> so, nothing to find, nothing yeah. to find. Nothing to see here. I think for the bottom line for me is I believe in good law enforcement. I believe in good community policing. I think it's necessary because there are people who are not going to do the things that they should be doing. There are people who are not looking out for the best interest of everybody in the community. I believe that all of our communities need to feel safe that, you know, that when people go off and, you know, come home from work, they should feel like they don't have to worry about being shot. Uh, people that, uh, you know, are hardworking and earn good money should not have to worry about somebody stealing it. 
You know, when we have our children are outside playing, we need to know that there's not going to be some predator out there uh, ready to abuse our children. And the people that help us keep us keep us safe and protect us, it's law enforcement, police officers, it's FBI agents, it's, you know, uh, all those people that are working together to keep us safe and we need them. And I would not want to live in a world that there was not policing and law enforcement. There was not somebody making sure that people, uh, you know, follow the rules, follow the law. What we need is to make sure that everybody who is involved in those agencies are looking out for us, looking out for everybody in every community. And if there's not, then we need to address those people and demand that those people get out of law enforcement. But I truly believe in law enforcement. And you know, I spent 26 years promoting uh, the FBI and I'm still promoting the FBI through my podcast, FBI Retired Case File Review, my crime novels, my nonfiction books, and the blog posts that I write. And where can we find all that information? Um, At jerrywilliams.com. So that's J-E-R-R-I williams.com. Of course, the podcasts are available at all your podcast apps. It's included. I even have a YouTube channel, just the podcast, just the audio. Um, But I really would like to say I don't I purposely don't have any ads on my podcast and my podcast is now you know consistently in the top 200 true crime podcast you know I'm, I'm close to 5 million downloads but I don't put any ads or anything like that on it because it really is a, a public service you know I really am on a mission to show people who the FBI is and what the FBI does and you can find all of that and then go from there to to wherever you want to listen and where whatever you want to read. But Jerry, J-E-R-R-I, Williams.com is where I host most of the things that I do. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for, you know, being a role model for uh, African-Americans, Blacks and law enforcement. I think we need more of you. Well, thank you very much. It was high praise. I really appreciate that. And I'm trying to do the same thing. Uh, I, I want to push the same exact thing that you want, you know, positive law enforcement. I really want to be a role model to the community, have more African-Americans sign up, more, uh, you know, black males uh, to join in, more black females. Oh, black females. Uh, I meant to ask you about that. Uh, we got the VP. Your thoughts about the VP here? What's <laughs> So excited. Yeah. So excited. <laughs> and she comes from, and I have a lot of hope because some people felt this is a negative thing that she came from law enforcement background, you know, but I think it's a positive thing because I think she recognizes uh, the importance and the need uh, to make people feel safe about law enforcement. And I hope that at some time that she can uh, really help with the, you know, reforms that need to be made and to help everyone believe that racial uh, disparity is going to be, uh, in, you know, fixed or, or looked at, uh, at at some point in, um, you know, in, in her time in office. I, I really feel very positive about uh, about her. Exciting, you know. Yes, I'm excited too. So. Thank you so much for being on Captain Hunter's podcast. I really, really appreciate it. I had a great, great time. I'd like to have you back at some some point. 
Um, you have to give me your, your tips on making it for five years. I want to make it five years, but I got to be honest. I, I want to make some money on, on my podcast. So. <laughs> hey, and there's nothing wrong with that. You yeah. know? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So uh, I wish you luck with that. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Jerry Williams, former FBI. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Police reform is more than just a trending topic. My name is Lawrence Hunter. I'm a retired police captain from the state of Connecticut, and I've written a new book called Police Reform. And I talk about the evolution of law enforcement here in America and what changes need to be made in order to improve the relationship between the police and the communities that they serve. Over the past few months, it has become increasingly more important and more evident that there's something amiss and awry between the police and the communities that they serve. So whether you're about defunding the police or defending the police, if you're about Blue Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter, no matter what side of the fence you happen to sit on, make sure that you pick up your copy of Police Perform today.